The Shamrock is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Notre Dame ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. You can even find tickets to some of the great concerts at Notre Dame Stadium. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna and special guests on our Monday show, Previewing Michigan. Nick Baumgartner covers pretty much like all things football in the state of Michigan. Um, not just Michigan, but uh, Michigan State and the Lions as well. But uh, Michigan takes up a lot of oxygen right now and sort of always has, as I can attest as someone who, who grew up in the state. Um, Nick, thanks for coming on the show and doing this. And I I guess like jumping into Saturday night, weird game. I sort of uh, took that in from a, a distance in California while I was out working on a different story. I saw they were down twenty-one nothing, uh, and then was able to see the the very end of the game. Kind of a weird game to process. It sounds like based based on reading your stuff uh, from State College. How how did you sort of take Michigan Penn State on Saturday? Yeah, it was strange. It was different, um, and that's why it was a little complicated, complex, whatever you want to call it, in that, you know, it was, there's two sides of it, I suppose. Um, you know, when you look at where this team was supposed to be when the season started and what we all kind of thought they would be based on, you know, they had, you know, a veteran offensive line core coming back, a senior quarterback, uh, you know, talented receivers, some guys on defense. Uh, obviously, there were some holes, but, they I mean, they, on paper, on the roster, they had enough talent. I think most people would agree uh, even with a new offense that we knew was going to take a minute to, to adjust to, I think most would agree that they had enough talent to compete for the Big Ten title. And that all went up in smoke when they were embarrassed uh, at Wisconsin, you know, about a month ago. And so it was strange in two ways because, one, you know, the Penn State game, after going down again in a huge hole, you know, they were able to climb all the way back and they got three yards away from tying it. So in that sense, you know, they showed a ton of improvement in a month. Um, you know, from where they were uh, at Wisconsin. But in a larger sense, it's just this lingering question of, well, why is this still now, now all of a sudden, is it a situation where we went from expecting this team to compete for a Big Ten title two months ago to now, are we supposed to celebrate moral victories? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes I'm just (laughs) like, you guys tell me, I don't know anymore because (laughs) it's, it's this, it's a little different, but you know, there, there was a lot of improvement in that game. Um, you know, after they settled down. I mean, obviously, credit Penn State and the atmosphere. I mean, you guys have been there, I'm sure. Uh, I think Matt has. I know yeah. Matt has, but it's it's one of the craziest. It's like I, I keep calling it like LSU North at this point. With When when you play at night there, it's it's really, really difficult. So you have these issues. But, um, you know, I just always go back. I mean, the, the large-scale thing. I mean, they're 1-8 and eight on the road against ranked teams. And, you know, nobody expects anybody to be um, – perfect in those situations right but uh you know more than one win uh, against a team of that caliber on the road I mean you, you've got to win those games to win the Big Ten so 
Um, in that sense, they're really not any closer than they were, but in a, in a, in a smaller sense or a more, I guess, a more in-season sense, it looks like they're trending more towards where they want to be. So, you know, maybe that bodes well for the close of the season here. Yeah, my reaction watching that game on the couch, and I had been at Ohio State Northwestern the night before and saw the Buckeyes. And my initial reaction after seeing all four quarters of Michigan-Penn State was, wow, Ohio State is just going to roll through everyone in the Big Ten, especially after seeing yeah. Wisconsin uh, earlier that day lose at Illinois. But uh, my you know, in-game reaction was similar to yours. I mean, when Penn State went up 21 nothing, I was kind of expecting a repeat of the Wisconsin-Michigan game where this thing was going to get out of control, like maybe 42-7 or something like that. And I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised to see Michigan throw up the kind of fight they did. I thought Shea Patterson played his best game of the season. Uh, I thought that defense, save for for losing K.J. Hamler, which is inexcusable, uh, played a pretty good second half. Uh, but, but, you know, I read your column afterward, and I had similar takeaways. It's like, uh, they look like they're better. They look like they have a little more heart and fight than I think a lot of us thought they did coming out of week three or week four. And yet I can't help but think this is Ooh. Michigan football. You were the preseason Big Ten favorite. There are no moral victories. We shouldn't be patting you on the back for, for not folding um, in a big-time game. I mean, what, what what's kind of the fan temperature at this point when you're evaluating this program week in and week out and you're looking at the preseason expectations versus – what on the field has not been that great of a product. Yeah. Uh, the best word I would I would describe it. It's like they're exhausted. I mean, it's they're. I mean, it's exhaustion. It's. Uh, I think that that's kind of the the sense I've gotten from a lot of them. In that you know some were, you know some were really confused about how to feel <laughs> with this game, which was another one where it's like you know they did you know they scrapped in there they played hard, but it's it's one of these things where it's like I think it would be different if you had that result. And you knew that this program didn't have these like repeated issues on the road. Like let's say they had won two mm-hmm. or three of those games in that nine game stretch that we talked about, those nine games against ranked opponents. Let's say they were like four <coughs> and you know, four and five or three and eight or, or three and six or something like that, uh, in those games. I think that they'd be a little more comfortable with this because it would be like, you know, well, we've done this before, we've we've won our share of these, I suppose. These are tough ones to win. Sometimes you just lose. Um but then the, you flip it around and you say, well, you know, you never win these. The only one they did win was last year at Michigan State against, I think, Michigan State was number 24 and falling like a, you know, like a rock in the in the ocean. Uh, so that's the best one you've got. I mean, that's really, that's it. Last year at Michigan State was the best one. And um, this would have been the best win in Jim Harbaugh's tenure uh, at Michigan. And I'm not sure what that says uh, at this point either. That's, a, that's an also a trickier question to answer right where it's like Penn State's pretty good I'm not going to say that they're not but I, I don't think I would call Penn State the best Big Ten team I've ever seen or anything like that I I, I mean maybe they could beat Ohio State I guess but I, I mean I I think we can all agree that that's going to be a, a tall order uh, for this Penn State team so um, yeah it's uh, it's it's a weird spot it's like three yards in a mile so some ways you're three yards away in some ways you feel like you're a mile and it depends on the hour I guess but, I mean, that's kind of where everybody's at I think right now at least after that one that that sort of road rank record with Harbaugh is so interesting to me because, like Fortuna, do you know what Brian Kelly's record is against ranked teams on the road since twenty thirteen? Um, I would. He's two and ten. Say, I guess it's not good. Yep. No, it's two and ten, and the wins were Virginia Tech last year, who was like wow. worse, <laughs> probably well, maybe worse or comparable to the Michigan State uh, that Michigan beat last year, and then Temple in twenty fifteen. So it's not like. He's sort of had like this killer run on the road, but 
he doesn't get strung up the way Harbaugh gets strung yeah, no, up. But, but, yeah. I think it goes to show first impressions too, right? I mean, Brian Kelly won at Oklahoma and made a national title game his third year. Like, that's never going away, despite what the NCAA says. Like, that's 100%. always going to be an impression that uh, will give him the benefit of the doubt, I think. I, I just think without Jim Harbaugh having any of that in his first two years, uh, we're still waiting. We're not still waiting for Brian Kelly. It's both of those things. You know, it's um... – it's there, there's been times on these in these road days, I mean last year for instance the the Notre Dame game where they played at Notre Dame, um, you know it was this that which was the exact same game almost as this Penn State game by the way I don't know if you guys noticed that but it was uh, Michigan falls down 20, 21 nothing and it's like I mean they're just collapsing on top of themselves and then they spend you know like twenty minutes kind of screwing around a little bit and then in the last maybe like you know twenty or so. You know, they, they make it a game a little bit. You know, they're in it. I mean, this one was closer than the Notre Dame game ended up being, but it was still a one-score game. But that almost felt like a little bit of a, you know, uh, a little bit of a blowout that wasn't. Uh, this kind of felt like that at times. And then, of course, they were right there to tie it. But, you know, they had the route last year at Ohio State. They had, they've been routed at Penn State. They've been routed at Wisconsin. Uh, they've been beat, they've been beaten bad at Wisconsin a couple times, actually. Um, and the other, the other close one would have been the Ohio State game, um, in uh, 2016, where they lost in double overtime, but but so it's part partly that and partly um, you know Matt's Matt's point about you know if if they'd won the Big Ten somewhere along the way, if they'd won one of these games and gotten themselves in the Big Ten title game or something, if they'd it, I don't even think it'd be about getting into playoff. I think it would just be if they if they'd won the Big Ten at some point along the way, like Franklin has, where Franklin was able to do it the one year. I mean, he got he got it done. I mean, it was an awkward, weird season, but they did do it, and uh, you can't take that away. And Harbaugh doesn't have that, and so every time these things happen, this frustration just continues to mount because it's like, are you closer to winning this, or are you exactly the same? And to me, exactly the same isn't improvement. And I think glass half full, they're exactly the same, and glass half empty, there maybe this season has been a slight you know shift into reverse, and they still have five games to maybe get that back trending toward where maybe they were when last season ended. But uh, it feels like they're just in a stuck stalemate situation, and that's not a good place for anybody. You know, it's funny you mentioned James Franklin in 2016 because, you know, going back to the point of first impressions, I mean, I'll still say to this day, you know, regardless of that uh, questionable spot in overtime, I thought Michigan should have beaten Ohio State in 2016. They were the better football team. They made way too many errors that you can't make on the road in that environment. And if they win that, they win the Big Ten East. They probably beat Wisconsin again, and they're in the playoff. And that changes everything about the narrative of the Jim Harbaugh right. era. And yet, James Franklin made it that year with one hand tied behind his back when no one was expecting him yep. to. And you know what? He just won his first road game against a ranked he team did. last week at Iowa. And you never heard that stat ever yep. because he has a Big Ten title under his belt. And I think that goes to show uh, just how – uh, imported first impressions are and you know how much that kind of colors people's and fans and media's perceptions of coaching regimes but you know it is year five now for Jim Harbaugh and he hasn't got it done yet so um, he's going to face those questions and, and, until he does um, going schematically I, I had a tweet that, that didn't exactly age well on Saturday night about how I think a lot of people did <laughs> has poorly uh, utilized what should be a really good wide receiving core Um, talking to people coming into the season everyone was raving about those receivers Um, scouts love them and yet you know you just haven't seen them uh, get the chance even really to to, 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 to 
make a difference in the games. I mean, talk. I was embedded with Army before their game and talking to, to defensive coaches on that side of the ball before the game. They were really scared if Michigan was going to air it out against them because Army did not have the size at cornerback to keep up with those receivers. And for whatever reason, Michigan just never aired it out. I think Jay Patterson was probably a little bit limited physically that game. Yep. But, um, you know, it's not just been that game. They, they have not really gotten those guys involved and opened up that offense, I think, the way a lot of us expected to. I know they weren't exactly recruited to a spread offense, but I think if you're a good coach, you figure out a way to utilize your talent. And obviously, I tweet all this, and Ronnie Bell drops the game tying touchdown pass. Right in the final minutes and I'm getting get it from all corners on Twitter but Ronnie Bell was not one of the three receivers I had in mind when I sent that tweet for the record there are three guys who I think are more touted than him who have not had the opportunity to perform the way I think a lot of us expected to what, what do you make of Michigan's offense under Josh Gaddis and it's an ability to really get to speed and space and really get the ball to their playmakers yeah it's been uh it's been one where I've, I've wondered I've really wondered how it was installed I think that that's been the biggest question that I've had the whole season because um you know, the first game of the year was they played Middle Tennessee State at home. And the first half, you know, they ran, you know, 35, 40 plays. And it was like 40 completely different concepts. There was like, there was like no repeats. It was like all, it was so much stuff. I just remember being like, there's there's so much going on here. And it was such a departure from what, you know, you're sort of used to seeing in a game like that. Especially with a newer offense where usually you, you, you feel like you, you see a team start with a smaller base and then work its way out. You know, you've you've spent fall camp finding the handful of concepts that you're really good at, and then you expand upon them as you go forward. Whereas Michigan entered the season not really good at any one thing in particular, but trying to run everything at once. And it was trying to run an offense. Um, you know, Josh Gaddis, it seemed like, was trying to run the Josh Gaddis offense more than he was trying to run an offense that got Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who was hurt at the time, actually. Uh, but Nico Collins, Shea Patterson, Tariq Black, these guys... Rather than running an offense to get them comfortable, it seemed like he was trying to run the offense that Josh Gaddis wanted to run. And uh, it felt like that for quite a little while. And it was the Army game was one where I think that, you know, they looked back on it and said, well, the fumbles screwed us because they fumbled the ball too much in the first half and they had to get off game plan. And then they go forward into Wisconsin and they just get completely embarrassed because they've got, they had nothing. They had no leg to stand on in that game. There was nothing they could default to when the rain, you know, was raining down on them to say, what do we do here? What can we do? What have we worked on that we're really good at? And, you know, it's still this whole caught in between of what really wanting to establish the run, uh, not throw not throw to run, but still establish the run at all times. And, and, and how do you want to do that even? That was, a, that was a confusing question mark. So for the first, like, month, it was this very confusing, I'm not sure what's going on here, you know, offense. And then after, after the Wisconsin game, they kind of stripped it all down. Um, they simplified some stuff for Shea Patterson. They, they got rid of some of the run concepts that weren't working, and they went just like really bare bones. And they were bare bones there. They were bare bones against Iowa. And they've started to expand it a little bit. And so you saw, you know, against Penn State, I think, you know, they, they ran 82 plays. I think it was 41 rush, 41 pass. Um, you know, some stuff down the middle of the field, a little bit more vertically. Not not a ton, though. Uh, just they took the one deep shot to Collins. There probably could still be some more in there. But it's still sort of finding its way, although I think it's – kind of back toward maybe closer to what they want it to be. But, I mean, if what they really ultimately probably want it to be is something that, you know, Penn State was running that year that they won the Big Ten or, you know, the year that uh, Moorhead had all those guys the following year. Um, and they're not there at all. But uh, the problem has been is that most would agree that they have the talent to do that. And it's just, uh, 
yeah, Shea Patterson looked really, really good uh, on Saturday. It was the best he's looked, rather, I should say, uh, this season. And I think it, it was that way because I feel like he, I'll have to go back and look at all of it, but, you know, he finally started to get himself into situations where he was able to kind of riff his own stuff. I mean, he was able to get out of the pocket a little bit. He, he stepped up and moved around, uh, and he improvised. And I think when he's able to do that, whether that was a conscious decision on the staff's part or whether that was Shea Patterson saying, to hell with this. I'm just going to do my thing because I got what all. What do I got left to lose here? And I'm getting tired of getting blamed for all this stuff. So I think I think if I had to guess, it was maybe a little bit of both. Um, and it ended up being a pretty productive day. So mm-hmm. um, maybe they found some things that they can lean on now. But uh, you know, here we are in game eight, week seven, week eight, whatever this is, uh, having these conversations. And that therein lies the issue, where it's like, what were you doing for the first four weeks, and what were you doing all off season? So. To me, I always go back to the install here. And um, Josh Gaddis is a first-time coordinator. Um, Never done this before. Obviously, I don't think it went as well as people had thought it would. Uh, And then you question, you know, well, if it wasn't going well early in camp, then why didn't you get the guy help? But those are questions that don't need, you know, I mean, those are questions that are kind of irrelevant now because the situation is what it is. But uh, certainly their most productive day against a good team on Saturday for sure. What, I mean, if... Saturday night is sort of like what they want to be about. Like it's sort of one of those things where teams, I mean, Notre Dame does, every team does this. It's like when something goes well, it's like, that's our identity. Um, well, it's like the, the yeah. previous five, six, seven games count too when you were just spinning your wheels. But like, let's, let's say like the Penn State game is what Michigan's offense is supposed to be about. Like, so what is that? Like, what do they do right. well? And I'm like into like, X's and O's and matchups and like, what did you see on Saturday? We're like, okay, I could see, I could see where this is trying to go at least. Well, I mean, on the ground, you know, they've had these issues all season with the, they they they've done some quarterback read stuff, and there's been times where you know Patterson had an injury earlier in the season and and he wasn't pulling the ball, and people wondered, well, are you not pulling the ball because you're hurt? Because a lot of these are, I mean, the Army game is a great example. There was so many times where it was like. Uh, all you gotta do is pull that thing, man, and you've got and you've got some grass to go. But Army was just content on taking away the give, so that didn't really work out well. Uh, as times have gone forward here with the ground game, they've done a better job of getting back to some of the outside zone stuff that they established last season. Uh, I think you saw some of that <clears throat> show up with Zach Charbonnet in the uh, Penn State game, uh, and then through the air. Um, you know, I think clearly what they're what they should be best at is. Finding situations where you can put um, Collins, Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, and Nick Eubanks, the big tight end who's really athletic, on the field together and finding someone who is in an advantageous matchup. And they did that a few times on Saturday. Uh, They found Collins over the middle a couple times. They found him on some stop routes. They found Eubanks over the middle a couple times. Um, When they're matched up with guys that that can't cover them, uh, it's, it's... it's an advantageous situation. That's what that's what the pass game should be. Uh, at times, though, it's not. It, it's just it's been this awkward mix of spread and West Coast that is going about as about like you'd figure a spread West Coast <laughs> offense would go, right? It's just like it's been this very strange, you know. Like sometimes it really works well, and sometimes they're doing the timing stuff. That's like just stop with this. This is too complicated for for college players to to, to 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 you know to pull off together just enough and then they'll stop with it and go to some of the spread looks that that make more sense so <clears throat> it's it just hasn't been enough of a matchup driven 
uh, situation. But, you know, at times, though, you, you do see it. And I think that that's where their strength ultimately has to live is that, you know, they do have, at least with Collins, I mean, Peoples-Jones has been a little banged up, I think, this season and has not looked maybe like we thought he would. And Treat Black is still kind of finding his way. And this is his first really full season of playing. But Collins is legitimately a receiver in this league that against any team on their schedule, you could you could get 10-11 out of him, I feel like, against anybody. 10-11 catches. Uh, he's, that, he's that tough to cover. And I think he's a guy that would demand safety help, which would in turn open things up, but which is why I think in part you see a guy like, and Ronnie Bell, you know, I mean, you know, he drops the last pass of the game, but Ronnie Bell had 82, and he had five tough catches in that game. Uh, he's made some tough catches for them all year, just being a guy who's been kind of roaming free when when you're worrying so much about the others. So, you know, he's a dependable player too, but it's just, um, you know, it's it's got to be, what what are they good at? Still don't know. What the, what should they be good at? It should be finding finding ways to exploit matchups because uh, not a lot of people can cover Collins straight up. I mean, he's 6'4", 6'5", 220, uh, athletic, goes up in the air, catches just about everything. So, you know, he's a guy that they're not taking advantage of maybe at maximum capacity, but maybe Saturday was a, a glimpse that maybe that's coming. The Vegas line open at four. It's already been bet down to two and a half. Uh, according to the Action Network, 75% of the bets are on Notre Dame with 86% of the money. I'll be very curious to monitor that throughout the rest of the week. Uh, look, I, Nick, I was shocked to see Michigan open as a favorite, open as a four-point favorite. Um, that said, I'm very well aware <laughs> that if I knew what I was doing with this, I'd be rich and living in Vegas right now. Yeah. And those guys want to have the jobs they do. Um, what's kind of How do you make sense of... Uh, that information as we speak on Monday with the game five days away? Well, two things. One, Michigan fans love to bet on Michigan. I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been told, like, there's that's that, that's irrelevant. There's too much money being moved around. I'm like, well, why are these lines always a little funky? But and the other part of it would be, though, is that they, Harbaugh, Harbaugh generally wins these games at home. I mean, you get, I mean, people love to crack on them on the road and everything else, but they, they you know, when you go back last year, they hammered Penn State at home. They hammered Wisconsin at home. Um, you know, the two years ago, they hammered that Penn State team that won the league or whatever it was three years ago. They beat Wisconsin at home. They generally, you know, by and large, uh, apart from a couple of Michigan State blunders and obviously the Ohio State games, they've won these games. So um, they are a different team at Michigan Stadium. They just, they have been. And they, they find ways to, they don't start, like, you know, they don't start in these horrible holes. Um I can't remember. I mean, maybe maybe against maybe one or two times where I can go back and look and say, boy, that was a terrible start. Even the time where Ohio State came in here and really beat them up with the Bosa team, I think Michigan was ahead in the first half. I mean, they generally start well at home. They play better at home with a home crowd when, when things are a little more comfortable for them. Um, generally play well at night here, too. I think that might be part of it. But, uh, yeah, this is typically a game where, you know, look, Michigan's program – is still straddling, trying to find the way to get from the 9-10 the wins to the 11-12. So trying to go from good to great. And the great teams can win on the road, and the good teams always find a way at home. And that's why I think Michigan generally gets favorably looked upon at home because they're typically very good here uh, or, or, or better than you see uh, in some of these other instances. So um, not a team that makes the kind of mistakes that we're used to seeing on the road, at home. It's one of those type of things. So am I shocked? Uh you know, I, I think I'm a little surprised that they're a favorite, but I'm not. If if they were going to be a dog in this game, I would have thought it wouldn't have been more than two or three points. So, not stunned because you know they do typically play pretty well here uh, at Michigan Stadium. 
Defensively, I mean, they lost a ton uh, off last year's team, but they're top ten yeah. in yards per play and you know at nineteen points a game, just outside the top twenty in in scoring defense. Has, I mean, especially the way last season ended with Ohio State and the bowl game where they just got ripped every different way. Um, you know, not, I realize the dynamics of the bowl game are a little different with guys sitting it out, but I. I mean, is this defense built differently than what Don Brown had last year? Um, is that ahead of schedule in any way? I, I'm curious what you make of, you know, how you replace Winovich, Gary, Bush. Um, that's that's a hell of a. I mean, those guys just terrorized Notre yeah. Dame last year. It is it is different um, in a couple ways. You know, if if you really watched close uh, against Penn State, they did a lot of. A lot more, uh, you know, too high coverage than we're used to seeing from Don Brown. I, I don't think all of it was true zone. It seemed like a lot of the the cover, you know, the cover two man type stuff where it was cover two over the top and man underneath, mm-hmm. uh, which took away a lot of the crossing stuff that people have bothered them with. Um, you know, they played more zone this year overall. Uh, typically, he's been a, you know, geez, like an 85, 90% man coverage coach. I mean, you saw that last year when they played Notre Dame. It was single high all the time, and every time they, Notre Dame would run them off, you know, They'd run four receivers on go routes, and the quarterback would just take off. Yep. So it was like, and, and that happened to them an, an awful lot against teams with talent. So they've done a lot more in terms of uh, installing some more zone looks, um, and I think that's allowed them to get a little bit more creative with some of their pressures because they've had to have them. Because you know, like you said, they lost Gary, who's just this big, big athletic guy. Winovich, uh, who was one of the savvy, you know, uh, tough. He was a more athletic than people gave him credit for, but also a tough player. And then Devin Bush, who was just like the best. Uh, probably the best football player I've covered at Michigan uh, in terms of, you know, a guy who just did everything for them defensively. So they've had to kind of get a little creative. Um, You know, a lot of three-man fronts this year. Uh, They've gone with some speed looks up front. They've played three or four defensive ends together. Uh, They've got, you know, uh, Aiden Hutchinson's been very good, uh, a strong side end who's, uh, you know, he's like 275, like 6'4", 6'5", 275, a big, strong kid who can move. And then they've got Josh Uche, who's this, you know, sort of hybrid um, weak side end who they'll drop into coverage and, and let him play linebacker and rush from different spots. And so they've tried to get as much speed on the field. They're not as big. Uh, they lost a lot of big speed, but they've tried to replace it with as much speed as they as they can find and just try to bring pressure from different areas. So they've they've kind of looked and felt different. Um, you know, Wisconsin really beat them up, and I think Wisconsin's the one team that you know, can, can, can kind of do that against any team that doesn't have a big size advantage. And, and they kind of, you know, mauled them a little bit to the line of scrimmage. And that's been, a, that was a bit of an issue, but then they go play Iowa a couple weeks later and they didn't, I mean, I think like Iowa had one rushing yard. So um, it's been weird. It's been different. It's been a lot of guys kind of pitching in different spots. Um, but, you know, with that, they've kind of, fa- they found some things, you know, Cameron McGrone is a second year linebacker from Indiana uh, who was a five-star recruit in that cycle, who's, who's starting to play really well. Um, you know, starting to get Daxon Hill involved a little bit more, the freshman they got from uh, from Oklahoma, who's a, who's a top-rated kid uh, at safety. So <clears throat> it's been, you know, they've lost, they've lost guys that they can't replace in terms of speed, but they're also trying to just put more speed in other areas and try to be faster maybe in the aggregate, I guess. Uh, so it's been, it's been tough for teams to get wide on them. But they have had problems at times where they've been gashed a little bit up the middle. And, you know, of course, you know, Penn State last week was kind of the familiar Don Brown game where I think they had four plays for like 190-something yards, and then the rest of it gained like 80 
for the rest of the game. So, I mean, it's just like that's that's kind of how it feels like it happens every one of those games on the road against a team with good talent. So you can still gash Michigan if you catch them in the right – if you catch them in man coverage and you get a good matchup. If you get a safety on one of your fast receivers, which happens – it seems to happen all the time, uh, you can still burn them. But um, they have been a little different. They've, they've gotten back to bringing some of the pressures. Maybe, maybe they started with like two years ago, three years ago, where you didn't quite know where they were all coming from. And um, and you've just got a lot more speed maybe in the front seven. In the aggregate, you, you're not as fast maybe per player or like, you know, in terms of a Bush or a, or a Gary. You don't have that kind of explosive guy, but you have more guys at more spots that can run. So that's been, that's been a positive. This has been an incredibly passive-aggressive rivalry throughout the history of time. I mean, you know. Michigan is Ohio State, Notre Dame is USC. They both say they're not really rivals and they don't meet each other. And, uh, you know, despite all that, somehow, someway, it ends up being a top dollar game when they do play uh, and they get the night game treatment and all that jazz. But uh, yeah. it is interesting because, you know, it's not an annual game. It, they've had starts and stops. And uh, as far as I know, uh, this is the last one on the schedule. And I've tried within the last week to get people at Notre Dame to, to, to yep. give me something about whether there is any possibility or, or, or direction or, or talks coming about uh, getting Michigan back on the schedule. And, and everyone's gone radio silent on me, which could mean one thing could be another thing. I don't want to read too much into it, but right. Nick, you're on the Michigan side of things. Have you heard anything from Ward Manuel or anyone in that athletic department within the last you know few months about the state of this rivalry moving forward after Saturday night? No, and I and I, I don't think I would say that that means that they're mm-hmm. against it. I, I think that they would certainly be open to it because they really had to kind of bend over backwards to get this to work again the second time. Um, and that was a Jim Hackett thing more than – or as much – I think it was Jim Hackett and Ward Manuel, I guess it was right in their transition there. Uh, but, you know, Michigan had to get rid of some games that were previously scheduled. Dave Brandon, if you guys remember back when, when the whole thing got canceled um, or when, when, when Notre Dame opted out, Dave Brandon threw, like, the biggest fit of all time – and then went out and scheduled like <laughs> 30 he scheduled like as many non-conference future games as he possibly could to make sure that Michigan Notre Dame would never play again you know it was just like the most like awkward petty passive aggressive future <laughs> scheduling thing i've ever seen well, no, but, Notre uh, Dame announced you know, Ohio Ohio State on the schedule the week it, of the last Michigan game in 2014 that gets pretty yeah. petty yeah yeah, it was like both sides just being it's this hilarious what what is going on here but but they don't care but, about you know, each other Cooler let's remember eventually prevailed no, right. Cooler heads eventually did prevail. Like Michigan canceled the series with Arkansas, mm-hmm. I think it was, to get this one in, and they and they and they've canceled maybe some other. No, they canceled another one for a different reason, but they did cancel an Arkansas series to get this game in. Um, and obviously, that's why this thing's being played. You know, kind of in a weird window of time because I think Notre Dame didn't have room maybe uh, this season to get it in. So I think that they have a good. They seem to have a good relationship. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they're trying or or at least looking at it. But Michigan is full. Uh, I think until like 2023 or four or something like that, maybe even further than that, maybe 25, 26. So they're actually full for a while. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if, if it comes back and they say, you know, we're going to do something after that. Um, or I wouldn't be shocked if they bought another series out. I don't know if they really want to do this. Cause I think like you said, Matt, it's, um, it's beneficial for everybody involved. I mean, every time they play this game, I mean, my God, both both of these teams could suck, and this game would be a top dollar game. <laughs> you know, We've I'm seen that, that game this before. Is, yeah, we have like a hundred times. This is like a bulletproof game in some ways, where it's just easy money, and uh, and I feel like I haven't heard anything that would suggest that it's like Im- imminent. But I, I I think that there certainly seems to be open lines of communication. I think Jim Harbaugh and Brian Kelly respect each other too, so I think as long as those guys are there, 
uh, that would be certainly something on the table. I think Harbaugh loves the Notre Dame thing too. The, that's a that's a nostalgia thing for him. I think he enjoys that part of it. Um, I know a lot of Michigan people do. I know a lot of Michigan people were griping about it though because this year they're like, "Why did you do this to yourself <laughs> with the schedule?" So it's like you know this is uh, not exactly the easiest thing in the world, but um, but I wouldn't be shocked to see it come back. Uh, it just it, it might be for a minute because they're gonna they would have to pay out another series or maybe two to fit it in because they're not going to play two. I can't imagine they're going to play two non-conference power five teams uh, given the big tens refusal to go back to eight games. Uh, I can't imagine that's going to change. So it would have to be some creative scheduling or some finagling around, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's in good place. It's certainly not the bitter situation that it was with Brandon and Swarbick where they just were like, I don't know, like it was like a sitcom or something with, with how that got off the rails, but uh, it seems much better now. So I would think I would think yeah, that would everyone's be favorite show with two stodgy old white guys. Everyone loves that show. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Brandon is he back at Domino's now? Did I read that? I don't think he's back. I don't know why Domino's would let him back. Yeah, is he after, like working uh, there? I don't either. But his Wikipedia page said he was, and we know Wikipedia. He was at Toys right, R Us, so. and then that that collapsed, that uh, and he was at. I don't think he's at Domino's. No, I, he was at Domino's before, and then Domino's almost collapsed, and then he left, right. and Domino's became really good again. So <laughs> I don't know what he's doing now, I don't, but he's not—he's uh, not necessarily around here all the time. I can completely see Notre Dame, uh, yeah, trying to <laughs> work. work he's on—he's on the board of Domino's, Matt. Uh, there we go. Yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah, it's like Notre Dame. They have Wisconsin rolling through uh, with a sort of a Shamrock series, neutral side, neutral side thing. They've got it. Ohio State, Alabama, A and M, all sort of coming in the next decade. I get. I guess I could see Notre Dame having to wait. Although it's, I mean, they did play Georgia and Michigan in the same year. So, or no, they, I'm yeah. sorry, no, it's like Georgia then Michigan. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a great series. Like you said, it's a bulletproof game. Um, I, I, I'm curious, like, oh, yeah. what your read is on like the Michigan fan base perspective on it, because like the Notre Dame vibe I get talking to people around here is they sort of see USC as the rivalry game. But then it's like the way it's been described to me is USC is our rival. Michigan is our enemy. And I don't know if like Michigan has that same kind of hatred towards Notre Dame because they have the Ohio State thing, which is way more bitter than Notre Dame USC is or probably ever will be. Um, Right. Yeah. How is sort of Notre Dame viewed as like, oh, this is like this is a rivalry game or it's not. Yeah, I think that it probably would be viewed as a rivalry game. But it's it's awkward because, you know, Ohio State is obviously the, the big you know, the big one with the bitterness and everything else. But then you got to remember, Michigan, Mark D'Antonio forced them to pay attention to Michigan State. So yeah. Michigan State in some of these years has been more intense than Ohio State in terms of the fan reaction and everything else. So Notre Dame, especially when it was, you know, during the Hoke era there when they were playing, when they were still on the schedule finishing that thing out, it, it always felt like Notre Dame was was like the third rivalry game, but certainly one that was um, certainly one that was important to them. I, th- I think maybe that... that that point you said people about you know it's uh, you know Ohio State's the rival but Notre Dame's kind of an enemy or something that that seems about right because I, I feel like Michigan people um, I you know I think that they respect Notre Dame's uh, you know the fact that the academics have to play a role at Notre Dame for everybody um, I think that they 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 feel like they're on a similar plane with them in terms of you know you're not going to be able to get necessarily any kid into into Notre Dame you're not going to be able to necessarily get any kid into Michigan the way that 
I think they look at it and they say, well, I know that Michigan fans will look at it and say, Ohio State could take any kid in the country no matter what his grades are, doesn't matter. And they'll say, we can't do that. And I'll always say, well, you could probably figure it out, right? But, I mean, like, but for the most part, that's to the passive-aggressive nature of the rivalry. Yeah, you can you can only take so many so many risks here. Notre Dame's in the same boat. So, yeah, I think it's it's like they're they're very similar. I think that the both, both fan bases are pretty similar in how they view themselves um, and how they view their program. And uh, that they're passive aggressive with a lot of different people, so I think that I think it makes sense. I think that there is a, I think there is like a mutual respect there. I I feel like that's a thing. I I don't think, I but it's just like so. It's a mutual respect that no one was willing to admit. Right. Exactly. Hundred passive aggressive. It's like yeah. It's like the old, old rich family members who are just like you know, <laughs> just playing nice or whatever when they have to. But they really do like each other. But they're never going to say it. But. Uh, uh, no, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, obviously people get upset when they lose to Notre Dame because they get upset when they lose to anybody. But, uh, you know, I've, I don't think it's something where anybody's spending the year like, you know, uh, woe is me, we lost to Notre Dame. Uh, I think that it's one that they get over a little easier. But, you know, also one, because I think you said, like, it's that respect that nobody wants to admit about with each other um, that's been there because both these teams have beaten each other in weird times and both these teams, like, you know, somebody beats somebody when they're not very good, and the other team is good, and and vice versa. So I think that uh, that's played a part in it, and it, and the fact that it's not every year, I think, helps with that too. That it's been this kind of, you know, for the most part, you know, we'll see again when we see again. It won't be uh, maybe next year, but and that's fine. But when we do see again, it'll be special. And there's a there there is a pageantry to this one, and I'm you know, I don't know. You guys are probably the same way. You be you're around college football long enough, and your and your cold dead heart becomes kind of immune to all this stuff, but. Notre Dame, Michigan is still a really cool thing. I mean, you, when you see both helmets out there together under the lights like that, that's a that's a pretty neat pretty neat deal. So I think a lot of people feel like that's just to see it, you know, just to see it happen still, and it, it reminds people of a lot of fun stuff. So uh, and for a while there, every one of these games was completely insane, which uh, I think probably helped uh, <laughs> helped with that too. Yeah, I feel like I hear the phrase "like minded institutions" a lot whenever yes. I talk to administrators <laughs> from either. Uh, Either side Whatever of the aisle. That but, means. but I'm, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. with you, Nick. I mean, I grew up in New York. I grew up in the East Coast. Like, we did not have a college football team, but like everyone yeah. gravitated to Notre Dame or Michigan. Like, they were East Coast schools that were, you know, just happened to be in the Midwest. And this game's a little bit different because it's in late October. But that was like the measuring stick game that everyone would gather yeah. around the TV and and watch every year. And because it was always week two or week three. Uh, whatever happened in that game would in a lot of ways dictate the kind of season that one team or the other would have the rest of the way or at least inspire hope and, and confidence for, for, for that fan base. And look, I, you know, kind of like you said, like we get immune to a lot of the stuff we see and hear in this business, but uh, you know, I, I'm a college football fan at heart. Uh, these are the two winningest yeah. programs, probably the two my, most iconic uniforms, two best fight songs, in my opinion, as annoying as they may hear to, be to hear on yep. a three-hour, never-ending loop uh, week to week. Yep. But uh, <laughs> I, I, for that reason alone, I, I'm all for this game being played every year. It, 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 Nick, not to turn the conversation too much, but you, you've covered how many of these games? You've covered Michigan for how long? Uh, 2011. Uh, the one the, that was my first one where uh, Michigan won at the buzzer, basically. Oh, that crazy. My, mine too. Tommy Reese fumble so, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my indoctrination <laughs> as well. So let's go around yep. the table, Nick. Your favorite Notre Dame Michigan memory that you've covered. Uh, um, I'm trying to think here. It, it might be, it might be that one because that was my like second game covering Michigan. It was 2011 and it was the first night game they ever had here. And I remember they 
had never had lights on the stadium and everything else, and everybody like nobody knew how it was going to go. Like the police were like, "We have no idea what's going to happen here. This could be just a complete disaster." And it was this crazy day where like Notre Dame fumbled, like just just like Michigan's got nobody near them, and they're just fumbling the ball. And you know they they were clearly the better team that day, but uh, Michigan makes this crazy comeback at the end of the game and wins the game, and everybody's going nuts and. Uh, it's one of those ones where you had to go back and watch it and be like, what just happened here? Because it was one of those sort of wild moments that didn't make any sense. Although the low-key, like, what is going on would be the uh, the year that they played. It might have been the next year when they played in South Bend, and it was like, I think Michigan turned it over like on six consecutive possessions or plays <laughs> yeah. or something like that, and still like lost by seven or whatever. But the uh, the craziest one was certainly the 2011 game that was just like, no one knows what's happening. Michigan had no business winning the game, but yet they, they come on this crazy drive at the end, and it's uh, it's one of those things where people were super excited about it. And uh, it was a good game. It was just entertaining. And it was one, it was a great one, because it was like, this isn't uh, killing Michigan's season if they lose. It's it's not, it's whatever. Notre Dame, same thing. I think it was like, it's it's just a great game, and it was one that uh, sort of just held up and was one people, I think, uh, sort of remember, remember fondly around here for sure. Yeah, it's that man. There's some good ones. This this will actually be the 15th Notre Dame Michigan game that I will have covered. Um, oh, there you go. Wow. I I think I have to go. Notre Dame fans will kill me on this one, but like the 2010 game, um, that was sort of like Denard okay. Robinson's like holy yeah. crap, this guy is good game. Uh, I think he had like 500 yards of offense, but then he also had sort of the Kyle Rudolph 90 yard touchdown in the final minute. Um, Notre Dame wasn't that good. I don't. I don't know if Michigan was that good that year either. But no, they weren't. Yeah. The, yeah. There. It was kind of a. Neither team was ranked in that game. Um, yeah. But I. That performance from Denard was, like, I covered a bunch of Reggie Bush games. He's the best player I've ever seen in person. Um, yeah. But Denard on that day was at least like in the same paragraph with Reggie Bush, um, which is really saying something. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, the 2014 game. Had the uh, Brian Van Gorder fist pump uh, meme, oh, which right. was yep. which was big for uh, Notre Dame fans to to use during the Bowling Green game this year, and that was like that was probably as visceral um, a kind of <laughs> fu moment from the Notre Dame fan base to an opposing to an opposing uh, fan base that I can remember because it was just like it was a very cathartic. The series had been canceled. Um, that. That was just a really interesting night in Notre Dame Stadium because, like, rarely do you get Notre Dame fans like showing a level of hatred toward the opponent like they did on that one. And I mean, you could—I remember Brian Kelly like yelling in his press conference after the game. He was so excited about it, and you just—you just don't really get that from Notre Dame. They try to like play it play it cool a lot, but you could see how much that sort of meant. Um, and then you had like the. Uh, the pick six that got wiped off and nobody cared and like people are tweeting out the picture of the scoreboard at thirty seven nothing, even the uh-huh. official final was thirty one nothing. So those those two really stood out to me. That was the death of uh, Brady Hope too, the end of his that was a <laughs> <Yeah>. last of <laughs> was basically the the beginning of the end for him, yeah, for sure. forty three Michigan Notre Dame games all time. Pete, you've covered more than thirty three percent of them. Let's have a, a round of applause. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys are forgetting, and, and Nick, I don't know if this is an appropriate segue or not, but you said the death of Brady Hoke. On the subject of death, we're ignoring 2012, which was the day of Lene Kekua's funeral, oh my when God. the entire Notre Dame stadium right. crowd was wearing ladies, and uh, yeah. Manti Teo had two interceptions, uh, two of those like six interceptions that Notre Dame got that day off Denard Robinson, and uh, Notre Dame won the game. Uh, 
that, that's not my favorite memory, though. My favorite memory, flash forward five, six years later, I'm doing a look back at that time last summer, and I'm talking to a handful of players, and I was directed toward a YouTube video of the post-game locker room in which Brian Kelly says, we have two game balls today. We have one for Manti Teo, and we have one we're shipping to Hawaii for Lene. And there's still a group text to this day among a number of Notre Dame players saying, and I quote, where the bleep did that game ball go? That is one of life's greatest mysteries. Uh, So we need to get to the bottom of that. Maybe once uh, they wrap up Saturday night and the series is on ice for a little bit, we we can get down and dirty into some investigative journalism. That's an athletic, uh, that's an athletic like home run right there, man. That's that's perfect. Yeah. That's a grand slam. You need to get on a plane to Hawaii. That's, Wow, yeah. No problem. With the tracking number on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fun series. You're right. There's like, there is, you're right about, you cover enough games and you sort of right. like lose a little bit of the electricity with it. Um, this is not one of those games. I mean, that's, this is, this is a fun game to cover, even if it ends yeah. at two in the morning. And I think it's a fun game for everybody to play. Like, you know, we just joked about Brady Hoke, but Brady Hoke always, like, handled this game really really well, too, I thought. He was always a guy who just appreciated, because uh, he coached at Michigan and with the Lloyd Carr era and everything else. And it was, I think he tried his best in that era to make it, make them understand that, right? Like, make the players understand that this is a cool series. This is a cool thing. Like, you're, you're going to go out there and there's going to be a ton of people watching the game. And it's Michigan-Notre Dame. It's a really fun series and situation and, and hoax teams always uh, except for that last one they always seem to to have that you know that team was uh, was broken anyway but they always seem to have that you know we're going to try to rise up here and make this a game you know make this fun and um you know harbaugh's only had one of them and, and that didn't go so well for them at the beginning anyway but uh but it's just always felt like a game that everybody seems to you know whatever you are at that time or whatever your team is at that time it's almost like whatever let's just see what uh, let's just see what these two can do and if you're a casual football Observer, and you see that on the dial. I think you're probably always at least going to click over on, on it and see. Well, I'll watch that for a couple minutes and see what's happening. So it's not a lot of games like that. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing that holds up. No, it's definitely a, it's good. I think there's still the two biggest brands game. in college football. Yeah, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> Despite the the terrible jerseys they both wore in 2011 that we neglected to mention. <laughs> oh, the, God. Yeah. oh no 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 no, no no! That was the Notre Dame all whites. Like I like those. That, that, the that Michigan ones good, are awful with the M on the front. A lot of people here love the, a lot of people here love those Michigan ones. By the way, that, those wow. got some pretty good, uh, probably because they won. I, I, feel I was like going to say if they lost, those. I don't think if they, they lost. <laughs> I don't think they'd have loved them, but yeah. Fortuna, you just don't know what you're talking about with fashion. I mean, you, <laughs> Clearly, give me a break on this. We, we, we have right. Nick on here. We have a third uh, fellow member of the ball club. By the way, Domes yeah, on Domers no, is that's really the only way to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to be. So I, I guess on that note, since we've once we get into like uh, receding hairlines, that's the time to end the show. Yeah. Um, so Nick, thanks for coming on the Shamrock. We appreciate it. Um, we will be back on Thursday with our bonus episode of the week. We're going to have uh, former Notre Dame running back Jonas Gray, uh, who's a Michigan native, and told me he will be at the game on Saturday night uh, to talk a little bit about sort of the series and um, you know sort of looking back at his career and time at Notre Dame. So until then, you've been listening to The Shamrock. This is our regular edition for all uh, to consume on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, review the show. We would appreciate it if you would do all those things. Uh, So until later this week when I'll be back with Matt, you've been listening to the latest edition of The Shamrock.